Bibles to Acts, Acts chapter 1. If you do not have a Bible, there's one of the two that's there in front of you. Feel free to borrow it. If you'd like to follow along, there's an outline in the back of the Acts chapter. You know, one of the easiest Sundays as a pastor is Easter Sunday. The topic is obvious. There's always a big group of attendants. You have people out of town, but you have visitors that come in. In fact, last week in our 11 o'clock service alone, we had 137 people uh, that were part of that with the jam kids and everything else. That was 11 o'clock alone. Uh, it's the next Sunday that sometimes is the most difficult. People are still on vacation and all the Easter and Christmas crowd don't show up. And what do you talk about the next Sunday after? Well, before we get back into our normal swing of going through 1 Samuel, I wanted to change pace and just take one day, and we're going to finish this message really tonight in 607, and talk about the next big thing. You see, the Sunday after Easter can be very difficult. Ron, I thought about you with this joke. This is a good Ron joke. To solve the difficult question of what to preach the Sunday after Easter, a pastor got up and announced to his congregation, my good people, I have here in my hand three sermons. I have a $100 sermon that lasts five minutes. I have a $50 sermon that lasts 15 minutes. And I have a $20 sermon that lasts a full hour. We will now take up the collection plate to see which one I deliver. <laughs> Use that next week, Ron. Okay. In fact, Tradition has it that the Sunday after Easter is often called Humor Sunday. And how it got that tradition is that people would sort of realize that the Sunday after Easter is God's joke on Satan. That Satan thought he had won, but he was actually defeated there on that first Easter Sunday. And today, we're not going to do that. Today, we're going to focus on the next big thing at Open Woods. If you're taking notes, I would like to point this out to you as we start. The next big thing is to reach the world with the gospel. Amen. The next big thing, if you pick up some of our literature that we have out there, one of our flyers for our theme this year is Rediscovering Church on Worship. If you were to put Open Woods into one sentence, Open Woods Baptist Church is about Jesus. Now let me just say this, I want, I want to say this carefully so that I'm not misunderstood, but let me say this. We are not a funeral home, but we help people who are going through tragedy and we help people at funerals. We are not a retirement center, even though we help senior citizens and we want senior citizens here. We are not a nursery, even though we have children and we help young couples, but we want them here, but that's not who we are. We are not a wedding chapel. Even though we help couples get married and go through that process and have a brilliant place for them to meet. We are not about building a monument to our pastor or any person. We are not a community center. Even though this building is turned upside down many times to help our community. And in Christmas when 400 kids come to and get socks and shoes and boots and everything else. I'm glad we could be part of that. Amen? Amen? But that is not our goal. That is not our focus. Our focus is on telling the world that they need to know Jesus. Our goal is lifting up Christ, whether it be through a community event, whether it be helping out a family during a difficult time as a funeral, whether celebrating things like weddings. Our focus is on Jesus, and our goal is lifting up him and telling the world they must be saved. But as you look at that, telling the world, how? 
how? How can one person reach the world? Let me just say this, and I want to talk a little bit about your ability to reach the world. Um, I want to illustrate it with something. And I want to illustrate it with a pizza box. Now, if you order a pizza, if you stop by and get a $5 heart attack in a box, if you stop by and get a hot now and stuff, they put it in this box. Imagining ordering a pizza at your house and the pizza delivery guy shows up with the pizza steaming hot in his hand. And find it, you'd be like, wait, where's the box? Do you understand that the box is not the important part of the pizza? It's what's inside the pizza that really matters. But the box is the delivery method. Without the box, how are we going to deliver the pizza? And see, this is a great lesson. There's, I could spend so many times on this is a great lesson about maybe not prioritizing your body so much. Be healthy, amen? Yeah. But maybe we shouldn't focus on dress sizes and weights as much as we do. Maybe we should focus on being healthy because eventually this box is going to get what? I mean, there's probably 13 cents of material maybe in this box. It's really not important. You know, this is also a, a great illustration because I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit being what's inside. This is also a great illustration for some of you maybe who've been told your work was horrible. I mean, those things that your mom said to you, and they still stay with you, don't they? Those things that were said to you by your ex-husband, your ex-wife, people said you would never amount to anything. This is a great illustration that, in while we were yet as sinners, God thought you were so important that he sent Jesus to die. And everybody in this world might put you down, but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, inside you is part of the Trinity, Amen. is the Spirit of God. Listen, it's a great lesson about self-worth and building you up. It's a great lesson about how this body really isn't super important. We shouldn't focus on that so much. But really, this is a great lesson on my ability. It's really about my ability to fulfill the Great Commission. You see, what it teaches me about my ability is two things. My ability is not the issue. Well, Pastor, I could never do that. I could never tell somebody about Jesus. I could never minister to someone. I don't have it. That's not the issue. What is the issue is my availability. Imagine if the pizza company and the, the, the pizza making it, and they were going to put the, the box, and they were going to take it out, and the pizza box said, you know, it's all right. No. Uh, it, that's an old joke. If you get that, you're old. But anyways, imagine if the pizza box said, you know, I don't want to be used. Don't put that in me. Pastor, that's ridiculous. But you see where I'm going. You're a believer in Jesus Christ, and at the moment of salvation, you were baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells you. And God says, I want to use you. And you say, no. I don't want to be challenged. I don't want to go in a new direction. I don't want to face something that possibly could be difficult. And it's the next lesson about my ability is this. My ability is determined by the Holy Spirit in me. I'd like to just kind of give you a challenge from my observation. The people who are... No, I can't get this box up. <laughs> I need it for 11 o'clock. I can't hear it. <laughs> you know what I've noticed? I have seen some pastors who are amazing orators. And God rarely uses them. I've seen some people who are just fantastic salespeople. But God rarely uses them. They have all of this natural box ability. 
that's not who God uses. Oh, if you know your Bible, maybe your mind goes like mine to 1 Corinthians. God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. You're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't have ability. I can't possibly do anything. Pastor, that box is worth 13 cents. That's probably twice my value. That's okay. Because if you know Jesus as your personal Savior, inside you is the Holy Spirit. See, it's not about your ability. It's about how available you will be to letting the Holy Spirit do something with you. Amen. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus is about to introduce the idea of the next big thing to the church. Jesus has been on earth for about 40 days. You can look at verse 30. He's been with his disciples after the resurrection. The disciples were no different than most American Christians because, well, what's the next big thing to them? Look at verse 6. This is, this is what you hear so often as a pastor. The next big thing, verse 6. When they were therefore come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, what will thou at this time, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? You know what the disciples are really asking? There's basically what they're really asking. They're really asking, what's the future going to be? What's going to take place? And you know what they're also asking? What's in this for me? Because they know that when he establishes his kingdom, who's going to be there ruling with him? Them. Is it now kingdom time, God? Are you going to establish your physical kingdom here? Now let me just stop for a moment to clarify. There will be a physical kingdom for a thousand years, the Bible teaches, called the millennium. A thousand year reign where Jesus will rule and reign on this earth. Amen? Amen. But right now, Jesus himself said, my kingdom is spiritual. The kingdom of God. If you're here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you know Christ is your personal Savior, you are part of that kingdom. This kingdom is spiritual. And they are thinking... Well, I'm going to get to rule. I'm going to sit on one of those thrones. You see, they're so much like an American Christian. Because people love to hear studies and messages about the rapture, the end times, the second coming. Get up and say, I'm going to do a message where I'm going to declare who the Antichrist is. I've learned a long time ago to stop doing them. They keep dying. And you'll have people come all around. Oh, they're doing something on the rapture of the end. Oh, I want to be there. But then get up and say, we're going to have a repentance service. And very few people show up. In fact, there are people, and I, I, I'm just going to label them this, and if I have to apologize later, I will. But there's people that I call rapture experts. Meaning everything they want to talk about in the Bible is about the end times. They want to talk and focus everything about that. Anything that happens in the news, they want to attribute it to something in the end times. Something that's going to happen and they see some sort of setup. And, oh, look, that matches with this and this could be that. And that, that's their entire focus. Jesus has a response for those people. And listen to this in verse 7. This is his response to their questions. And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons. Wow. There's people who have an entire ministry built on that topic. Go back, Greg. Go back. There's people that have an entire ministry built on that topic. And Jesus says, you know, this really isn't for you to know. I've got this under control. Now, it's okay to study it because it's part of God's word. Amen? It's okay to study it. But my point today is this. Don't be an end times expert. Don't be a rapture enthusiast. Be a Jesus expert. Be a people enthusiast. Amen? Amen? 
You have so much knowledge about something that we know very little about, but there's so much possibility for you to minister to right in front of you. I would rather you be an ignorant believer who loves Jesus, who loves people, who wants nothing to do but share Jesus, than have a borderline doctrine and theology mind who has never told anybody that you must be born again. The last part of the verse, he says this, which the Father has put in his power. He's saying this, this isn't for you to worry about. This is a God thing. I've got this under control. In fact, Jesus himself will say, you know, only the Father knows some of these times that are going to take place and what's going to happen. What he's saying is, listen, you're not to concern yourself about the end times. What you're concerned yourself, well, what you're concerned yourself is about people. Now, just to clarify, just so you understand this, the next big Theological or eschatological thing. I got that out. You didn't think I knew a word like that, did you? That's what happens when you pay a lot of money to go to school. Anyway, is the rapture of the church. Check out 1 Thessalonians 4 if you want to see what takes place. The next thing that's going to take place, it's not about earthquakes. All those things take place during the tribulations and stuff. The next big thing that's going to take place is that Jesus is going to come back. The dead in Christ will rise first. That means the Presbyterians. <laughs> It's a good joke, Diane. The dead in Christ will rise first, and those which are alive will meet him in the air. That's the next thing that's going to take place. Amen? Amen. But this, this is not what we've been called to be an expert about. This is not what our ministry is to be about. What have we been called? Why have we been given the Holy Spirit? The next big thing right here is verse 8. This is the words of Jesus. If you have a Bible that has red words, this is a red word passage of scripture. All of God's words should be taken seriously. You understand what I'm saying? But when you see something in red, you need to pay a little extra attention to it. This is Jesus' final instruction to the church. This is his final word to you. But ye shall receive power. What is that power? After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, and to all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. Let me give you two things about Acts 1-8 I notice here. First is this. The power is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is for evangelism and ministry. When you accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you were baptized by the Spirit. You didn't have to ask for it. You're never told to seek it. That's awesome. Say amen. amen. You've got the Holy Spirit. Say amen. amen. How do I know I have the Holy Spirit? If you've accepted Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You're baptized. But there is something you're supposed to seek. It's the filling. The filling of the power. It's kind of like a car. You fill up your gas tank, and what do you do? You put it in the garage and never use it. No, no. You go out and drive it, and your gas tank goes down, down, and you have to pay more money, right? And then you fill it back up. The filling of the Holy Spirit, well, the filling of the Holy Spirit is for us to fulfill God's purpose. It's right there in verse 8. We are misusing it. There are people who are teaching, I'm sorry, but it's heresy. It's complete contrary to what the Word says here. That the Holy Spirit's filling and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to heal you. Verse 8 is very clear. It's for us to be witnesses. The power of the Holy Spirit is to make you rich. <clears throat> I don't want to be those people on Judgment Day. And quite frankly, most of them, they're going to be on the other side than me. This isn't in my notes, but I would like to say something. This is 
just a pastor's heart. Mr. Olstein is a false prophet. Mm -hmm. He is not teaching the gospel. He is not preaching the real Jesus. He's part of the Word of Faith movement. We're going to have that's what we're going to talk about on Wednesday night. He's a very dangerous man. Joyce Meyer is a false teacher. She teaches things that are contrary to the Word of God. Well, pastors are on TV. Dr. Stanley's about the only one I'm going to recommend to you that's on TV. There's a lot of good guys on, on the radio and stuff. I listen to the internet, so I don't know all everybody on TV. But a lot of these guys are teaching heresy. They're not. You know what they're teaching? They're teaching how they can get rich. They're not teaching about Jesus. And that's not me trying to condemn somebody. That's me trying to warn you. You want to know if you know a false teacher? We'll just... Maybe this is why I'm tired. God wants me to talk to you. This is how you can tell a false teacher. How they deal with the Holy Spirit. When they say the Holy Spirit is about you, all about you, that's a false teacher. The Holy Spirit is all about you ministering to other people. You say, Pastor, the Mission field. Okay, nobody likes that. 
But you can go all around this world with the International Mission Board and do all sorts of amazing ministries. It is the best mission team and group on the planet. It's one of the reasons why I love being part of our group. Amen? Amen. But here at Oakland Woods, here's some things we're going to get started. Greg's up there with his bride to be. Round of holy hands. You know, one of the things we're going to do this year is we're going to kickstart our church planning idea. Um, we're, we're moving our young adult ministry to Saturday night. We're calling it Elevate. It's the name of the class already. Uh, but we're going to have some of these uh, church planners. There's a few that have already been approved by the North American Mission Board that are planning churches. Uh, there's a couple that uh, we've already helped with Bob Morrissey and different other ones. And they're going to be some of our speakers on those Saturday nights because our goal, my ultimate goal that I want to see us do is that every five years or so, we plant a church. And we bring a young guy in on staff, and he's a youth guy or some other area of ministry. We train him, and then we set him up, and we send him off eventually to an area in this area, and we plant a church. And he eventually builds a church that will plant a church. Our goal is to create churches that create churches that create churches. Amen. Amen. It has never really been God's plan for us to gather in big groups. It really isn't. In fact, when the church did that, God brought persecution to spread us out. And so what's going to tell you, you know what's going to endure the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years if Jesus doesn't come back and persecution rises? It's not going to be large gathering mega groups. What's going to endure is small pocket of believers who at the minute's notice can go underground at, at the big boys. Uh, another thing is our bus ministry. If you'd like to volunteer, that would be great. Uh, if not, give me money, and I will get somebody to do it. I never ask you for money. I never do. But if you'd like to give me money so I can pay somebody to do it, I would be glad to do it. Uh, our bus ministry had two of our boys saved last week. And honestly, I love our bus ministry, but I'm tired of it. One of the things we're going to look at this year, it's going to be a big conversation we're going to have this year, is our multi-purpose buildings. Uh, I've been talking with a couple of our men in our church that are builders, and they think for a very low price we can get the frame, the concrete floor, the framework, and the lights, and the heating uh, for a very low price. I was really surprised when they were both, oh yeah, definitely, we could probably do it for that. And so that's going to be a conversation all year. And so the goal is eventually that it would be a building if we needed it for church services, but it'll be a multi-purpose. It's hard to do a student ministry in Michigan without a gym mm -hmm. because there's a thing called snow. And there's a whole other issues, and that's going to be a big conversation we're going to have. Another thing I've been talking about is our daycare. We have a great facility to do that. Uh, I just got to find the right person who wants to take it over. And lastly is our addictions ministry. Uh, I don't understand addiction. I don't understand people who are addicted to drugs and different things. Most drugs put you to sleep. I just think... You're not busy enough. If everyone be quiet for two minutes and I close my eyes, I could go to sleep right now. But I, I have a real heart, heart for uh, people who struggle with it, whether it be drugs or alcohol or a whole other things. And so I uh, talked with somebody, and I think I have a possibility of someone to lead that ministry. That's sort of some of the next big things this year that's going to take place at Open Woods. But if you notice, just about everything on that is about people. It's ultimately about reaching people. In verse 9, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. He's outside Jerusalem. And he's going to leave. And he says this in verse 9. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. 
He has left, but he has left. He's going to leave the Holy Spirit. We'll see that tonight in Acts chapter 2. And he has left us to reach the world. The disciples are shocked. What do you mean? This, he just left. Wait, we just, you're going to start our kingdom, right? And he's like, no, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. Figure it out, and I'm going to leave. In verse 10, and while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, he went up. And behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Uh, these men standing there are angels. Little side notes, you understand? Angels in the Bible are always depicted as men. They're always taken on the form of men. They're not naked little babies, okay? Verse 11, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So here's my response. We really have two choices. And the first one's really not a complete choice. Two responses you could make to the next big thing that God has given us. Number one, well, you could be like the disciples. You could gaze and wonder. There they are standing, gazing into heaven, shocked. Sir, do you remember that first time you saw your wife? I do. That green shirt is embedded in my mind. You saw her, you were shocked. You were like, wow, look at her. That's the way the apostles are looking. They're shocked. They cannot believe what they have just seen. This is what most worship is like. Just awe. Just wonder. Now, I am for worship that creates awe. I am for worship that creates emotion. Amen? But that is not the goal of worship. The goal of worship is not about your feelings. It's not about you feeling something and walking away and looking up. Because that's what the, the apostles are doing at this moment. They're just standing there in awe and wonder. If last week you were in awe and wonder that the God of the universe would send his son to die for you, that is great. But awe and wonder and amazement is not the purpose of worship. You see, worship is two things. Worship is not defined by a place, a feeling, or a ritual. Meaning, if I don't sit here at 9.30, then I can't worship God. God is expecting me to be here at 9.30. And if I'm not in my seat, Pastor, you keep moving the chairs. God doesn't know where I'm at. It's not. Worship is also not about a feeling. Hey, great worship can leave you excited. Great worship can make you fall to your knees and cry. Great worship can create humility that God loves you so much, but that's not what it's about. And it's not about ritual. Well, Pastor, this is one lady I pastored in Livonia. She got mad at me because I'll lead singing. I like doing it, Gary. And as ever, all the musicians know when I do it, we never do it the right way. I like to mix things up and do it. And this one lady came to me and said, Pastor, our tradition has always been the first, the third, and the fourth verse. Every time I would lead worship, I sometimes say, we're just doing the second. And they got this mean little kid in me. Okay, but anyways, but it's not about ritual. You know what worship is supposed to be? Worship creates, and here's a science word for you. Those of you that did, you didn't know you were coming to science class. Worship creates kinetic energy. Kinetic energy. The definition of kinetic energy is right there. Energy that a body possesses by virtue of being in motion. You see, there's two types of energy sources. You can have potential energy. Potential energy is a rock. It's just sitting there. 
You could, you could roll it down a hill. You could pick it up and throw it at somebody. You could do something. It's just potential energy. It's not doing a thing. But kinetic energy, kinetic energy is the energy created when you take that rock and throw it down a hill. When you take it and do it and put it in motion. If your worship has only created potential energy, you're doing something wrong. <coughs> worship has been designed to create kinetic energy. Energy in motion. The disciples are in awe. They are amazed. There's this feeling of euphoria taking over. And the angels come there and say, this isn't the point. The point is to take this now and fulfill the Great Commission. Here's your second option. Motivation to minister. Where are the apostles standing? Well, verse 12 tells us they're standing on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is a series of this gentle slopes. We might probably just call it hills. It's got trees on it. It runs north and south on the eastern side of Jerusalem. It's, Jesus will return to this spot. Zechariah 14.4. Put that in your Bible. He will return to that spot. And when he returns to that spot, he'll step foot on the ground. The next time Jesus is on the earth, he will step foot on the ground. He will split that Mount of Olives that goes north and south in two. And he will go through the eastern gate that faces it. And he will declare himself to be king. This is the place where Jesus entered the city of Palm Sunday. He walked through that eastern gate from the Mount of Olives. By the way, this is also the place where Judas betrayed him in Mark 14, 32. That garden was there in that gentle slope called the Mount of Olives. It's also the place where Jesus cleanses the temple and runs people out. He goes out what we call our Mount of Olives discourse in Matthew 24 and Mark 13, where he talks about end times things and things that are going to take place. He sits on that slope. This is a very important place. And as they stand there, the angels say, this same Jesus will return here. Now, for the apostles, what a great motivation. What great motivation to get busy and to start to serve Jesus. They're going to have the power of the Holy Spirit in the next chapter. They just saw Jesus go up. The disciples are going to take the simple thing like the Holy Spirit, and they're going to take him at his word, and they will turn this world upside down for Jesus. You are here today because of what they started in Acts chapter 2, all because the power that was inside of them and the Holy Spirit. You say, well, Pastor, I probably will never go to the Holy Lands. Watching the news, probably a good choice. A lot of crazy people over there. Of course, there's a lot of crazy people here, so it's, I guess it's a coin toss. I will never go do that. I did not see Jesus. You know what your motivation is? Here's your motivation. Did the wedding... Groom wore a mask, superhero mask. Started an hour and a half later, it's supposed to. All right. Trying to get them out. Finally got them out. He gave me an ugly look because I said, you got to leave. I can't have you here. I'm sorry. And I was setting up these chairs with Chris Thomas. And he was like, why are you grumpy? And I, I said, you know what makes me grumpy? It doesn't make me grumpy that they get paid. Because I don't do that for money. If they'll pay people pay me for funeral and wedding, that's fine. I don't care. I'm not doing this alone. I said, that doesn't make me grumpy. doesn't make me grumpy that they started late. doesn't make me grumpy that they didn't take marriage serious enough to not wear a superhero mask. Any of that, that didn't make me grumpy. You know what kind of makes me grumpy is that I did all this for them, treated them with respect, and treated them like they were important people and everything else, and in the end, they didn't even thank me. I said, in fact, they gave me a dirty look. I said, that kind of drives me a little crazy. I said, I feel a little... And I said, maybe I'm wrong and being a little carnal. Maybe I should reevaluate. It just drives me crazy that they just couldn't have said, 
Thank you. My motivation today to serve Jesus and to turn the world on fire for God is not that you thank me. It's not that you recognize. It's not that you ask. My motivation should be your motivation because one day I will be face to face with the one who died on the cross for me. The one who shed his blood for me. One day I will see him and what I want to hear, my motivation, is well done, thou good and faithful servant. See, one day Jesus is going to look at you and going to either say, well, you got in, I gave you my word, you're in. Or he's going to look at you and say, you did an amazing job. Everything I gave you, you just used for me. I could not be more proud to call you a child of the king. Come on in. I want to close for a second and talk to you about something. I was raised in a good church. I was raised in a very traditional and to be honest with you, legalistic church. We, we weren't allowed to sing in the choir if we had facial hair. You weren't allowed to do any of these just silly little things as I look back on them. One of our deacons, Jim Merrill. Jim Merrill's the little brother I never wanted. <laughs> and that's exactly what he is. Do you know that that guy Every Sunday, wears shorts to church. And he wears those silly little feet, those shoes. He said, well, pastor, a deacon shouldn't dress that way. Um, I'm not going back into that legalism type mentality. But let me tell you something about Jim Merrill. I wish some of you would start wearing shorts to church. Do you have any young people who have lived in his home? No, you don't. I do. We've got kids in this church that have had some very difficult homeless. That young man who's gone into the Navy, you know, he lived in Jim's home for over a year, free of charge. Jim mentored him like a father, taught him things that his own father did not, got him to where he was at, did a huge thing. You know that there are families in our church that meet at Jim's home? And he's trying to mentor some of our young families. You know there are families that no longer attend our church, but yet Jim still tries to help them, and he has them over his house that him and his wife minister to weekly. The number of people that Jim has ministered to of kids and people. He said, well, I wish he would do it in pants. <laughs> and I would like to suggest something to you, that you're focusing on the box. Because Jesus never wore pants. You say, well, Pastor, look at me. Come on, man. I'm an old school Baptist. Look at me. I still wear a tie. That bothers some of you. I still do. I mean, I, I preach. You know, I'm an old school. Don't misunderstand me or any of that. So honestly, I wish some of you would wear shorts to church. <laughs> Seriously. If that's what it means, can I ask you this question as we come to a close? Well, who have you led to Jesus this year? Well, but I wear a proper attire to church. That's not what you need to answer for. That's not why you have the Holy Spirit. Who are you ministering to right now? Who are you mentoring? And I, I appreciate
appreciate so many of you who are doing it with your grandkids and stuff. You're, you're amazing people. That is awesome that you're trying to help out the family. But can I say kindly that that's less ministry and more responsibility? Don't want to stop you. But who are you ministering to? You see, the next big thing is to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The next big thing is not about how we dress. Dress modestly. Amen? Mm -hmm. The next big thing is about reaching people. And I tease Jim Merrill every Sunday at 11 o'clock. And I won't say this at 11 o'clock because he'll get a big head. <laughs> but I'd rather you wear shorts and mentor people, reach people for Jesus, and wear correct attire and never give an amen. Last week I went to a funeral. Good man. 90 years old. Mr. Earls. Ruined my life. When I was 16, he approached me and said, Steve, I heard you got your license. Yeah. You're going to help out on the bus ministry. I need a runner, bus captain. No one got said, yes, sir. I went back and forth and said, I know your parents. Don't let me. I will come to your house and drag you out of bed. So I showed up at 8.30 that Sunday. And for the next three years, I got involved in ministry. And that's my beginning point. And then he said, you're going to camp with me. You're going to be a counselor for me at camp. He went and told Pastor Kidd, good man. He went and told Pastor Kidd. He said, when we go to camp, I'm taking Steve Sherry with him as counselor. Pastor Kidd's words were, Steve? junior church, gave me 30 kids in junior church and said, this is your responsibility. You're going to take this to the bank. That man, I don't know why, why he chose me, but that man saw something in me. I, don't, I still to this day don't know. When I went there, he was 90 years old. I was the youngest person in the church. When you're 90, you've got a father. I walked by that casket not family, that you're investing in, that you're ministering to. Oh, pastor, I could never do that. Not about love. About the Holy Spirit that lives inside. Next Sunday, everyone wears shoes. Last week was a celebration.